We're so happy that you've linked into Transforming Truth. The message you're about to hear is part of a new series that we are airing, and the series is called How God Works With You. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as we look at the kingdom of God, we need to understand His word, yes. His works, yes. But a lot of people don't understand His ways, so they misunderstand what He says and what He's doing. So this series is going to help you understand how God works with you. I want to begin a new series uh, this evening, and I didn't intend to really preach any more series. I thought we would do Acts on Wednesdays, moving it from Sundays, but um, I really felt led of the Lord to kind of launch into an open-ended series. It may be three messages, it might be 15, I don't know, but on, on how God works with you. It's not a really spectacular title to a series, but I, I, there are three primary things that we need to know about the Lord. We need to know the word of the Lord, and we need to understand the works of the Lord. We need to work the works of the Lord. Jesus actually promised that. He said, the works that I do, you're going to do, and greater works than these will you do. So that's just kind of part of the Christian life. And of course, the word of God endures forever. The heavens and earth will pass away, but the word of God will, will endure forever. So the words and the works of the Lord are extremely pivotal uh, for believers. But I, I, I believe that where we are right now in a very diverse church with people coming from different backgrounds, both racially different and um, denominationally different, culturally different, even different nationalities, one of the things that I want to make sure that we're growing in is our understanding and our appreciation of the ways of God. God has ways, and he made a blanket statement. Uh, he, he said, my ways are higher than your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. He said the same way about the way he thinks, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so automatically, we need to humble ourselves and say, wow, if we're going to understand the ways of God, we have to have the help of God. Because God's not like us. He declared that. I'm not like you. I do things differently. I think differently than you. And so one of my joys in, in studying the scriptures as a Christian, not as a pastor, one of my joys has been learning how God is learning how God works, learning the, the dynamic ways of the Father and how he has, he's, he's consistent in his character, but he's very creative in his ways. And I think one of the dangers of an industrialized, educated, uh, technologically savvy uh, culture like ours is that we found the first way God worked in our life and we say, we got God down. We got him. We figured him out. This is how God works, and we base it on how he has worked in our lives. And what God wants us to know is, as a, a loving father, he wants to say, and sometimes you hear him speak like you speak. He uses your vernacular to talk to you. So understand, this is what I hear him saying. You think you know how I work, but you haven't seen anything yet. You think you know how I am, Jeff, but you only know a slice of how I am, and it's a really tiny slice, son, so uh, open wide your mouth and I will fill it with good things. That's what the Father said through the psalmist. And so this series is going to be about the ways of God, not so much the Word. We're going to use the Word to understand His ways, and hopefully as we understand His ways, we'll be better situated to uh, walk in His works because His ways are according to his word, but his works proceed from how God does things too. And so it's important for you and for me to understand 
What is the Lord doing? And if we're ever going to understand what the Lord doing, we need to be able to recognize how God works. And so with all of that in mind, I'm going to take you to a passage that you wouldn't think has anything to do with what I just described. I want you to look with me in the book of Exodus in chapter number 23. And um, this is, I've just been in the, the, the Pentateuch for weeks and weeks now. We'll be back in it Sunday. We're going back to the Jordan River Sunday. I didn't get it all done last week. We're going to go back there this Sunday. And here, Israel is still in that same situation. They're, they're moving towards the promised land. And God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something for you. And through what he promises, we're going to learn a little bit about um, why breakthroughs sometimes tarry. Why your breakthrough sometimes takes much longer than what you thought. And you're going to be helped tonight. Exodus chapter 23, look in verse 27. God is speaking when he says, I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, from before you, watch this, he says, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Father, as I speak on this, I just welcome Holy Spirit to be uh, the teacher of every open heart in here. Lord, I pray for an anointing on my speech, but I pray for a heavier anointing on the ability to understand tonight. Father, I sense such importance for people who have been waiting for answers, waiting for a shift, waiting for a breakthrough. And I pray tonight that as an ever faithful father who's patient with his children when we struggle, when we doubt, when we fear, speak reassurance in this house tonight, Lord, to remind them that you haven't left them. You haven't stepped aside. You haven't fumbled and you haven't forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen. So Israel has been promised from the Lord, a land of their own, an inheritance, something that they've never had and never experienced. They've come out of slavery. They've experienced miraculous deliverance, but they have spent the last four decades because of unbelief in that body of believers, the last four decades wandering in the wilderness. And as Moses is approaching that time where they're going to have to cross over the Jordan River and enter into Canaan land, God is speaking about what is to come. He's talking to them in their wilderness about their inheritance. He's telling them while they are not yet in possession of the best that he has to offer them, he is preparing them to receive it. And what they have been waiting on for uh, decades is about to become the reality. And so what God does is while they're in the wilderness and approaching Canaan land, God speaks over the Jordan River. He speaks from where they are over the Jordan and says, let me tell you what's going to happen when you go behind my word. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to the enemies that are awaiting you on the other side of Jordan. 
And so when Israel gets there, they're automatically going to need a breakthrough. So the context of what I'm going to share with you is really us moving forward. Well, it's Israel is the context, but the application is us moving into the full inheritance of what God has for us, not in heaven, but on earth, and understanding that it's going to be contested. It's going to be fought. And that God, though he is sovereign, is not going to do it all for you. And sometimes our frustration is when God does not move at the pace that we want him to move and our breakthrough, our victory doesn't come as we want. Well, this passage is going to tell you why on some occasion God, when we want him to move like a cheetah, actually seems to move like a snail. Now, I'm not being irreverent, and y'all wipe that pious look off your face because there have been times where you have felt the same way. Lord, I need you to be a swift cheetah, and I feel like you're moving at a snail's pace. And so let's look at this in Exodus 23. There are five things I want to share with you tonight. They're very simple, and here's the first. God gives in verse number 27 a powerful declaration. He says, I will send my terror before you. I will throw, um, I can't read, pardon me. I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. So as God is speaking to them, he gets declarative. He says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, because I'm sending you into the place of blessing, but the land hasn't been cleared yet, and there's a lot of people that aren't going to be willing to give up that blessing so that it falls to you. You're going to have to fight for it. But, and by the way, Israel was not, they were not warriors. More than once, God had already told them, you're small without me, you're weak without me, you're unimpressive without me. And then in the same, the same voice, they hear him say, now go over and conquer the warriors, conquer the Canaanites, conquer the giants, conquer all of the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and all of those ites, and they represent enemies. And God says, go over there. And in their hearts, in the flesh, in the natural they might be tempted to say, like their forefathers did, we're grasshoppers against these guys. We can't beat them. We can't enter their cities. Lord, we're, 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 we're desert dwellers. We're wanderers. We're nomads. We're not warriors. And so what God does is he says, he doesn't deny the intensity of the fight coming, but what he says to them, he says, I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to move out in front of you. And look at the way he, said, he says it. He says, I'm going to send my terror ahead of you and your enemies are going to encounter my terror god says in effect i am going to trouble their hearts about you i am going to move not only in the physical and in the world of nature as we'll see in a minute god says they're going to be afraid of you as i move into that territory he says i'm going to throw them into confusion i'm not only going to trouble their hearts i'm going to trouble their minds they're going to be confused. They're not going to have their clarity. They're not going to be able to fight you at the peak of their strength. They're not going to have the peak courage. They're not going to have the peak clarity. They're not going to be able to do all the things that they're used to doing when they're fighting against other people. I'm going ahead of you. And then he says, I will make all of your enemies turn their back to you. Now, friends, listen, these are bold declarations that God is doing. Israel has one job 
Trust God and obey God. It's, it's one thing. It's two parts, but it's one thing. Trust and obey. And as they do that, and to the degree that they do that, they're going to experience what God has promised here. He says, your enemy is going to be confused. Your enemy is going to be afraid. And ultimately, your enemy is going to run away from you as I go before you. Now, that's an awesome thing. And why we can sit here and be grateful for historical Israel, I'm going to tell you that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That's what the New Testament teaches us about the Old Testament, that these things were written so that we might be instructed, that we might have an example, that we might learn the ways of God. And so one of the things when I read a passage like this, I say to myself, God, I know Israel is the chosen nation and the apple of your eye and the seed of Abraham, but I also know that I'm, I'm grafted into Israel. I am, Lord, uh, 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 an Israelite in faith. I am a, in the fullness of it, believing the Abrahamic covenant that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I don't believe there's any reason why I should expect less of you in my life than what you promised to Israel. And so I, I, I have to say, when I read a passage like this, do you know what I do? I don't say, yay, Israel. I say, God, do that for me. Lord, I've got some battles. Lord, you've got an inheritance for me. You've got things that you've set aside for me. You, your people today are, are living in the fullness and the rest of Jesus Christ, but there's much territory to be gained and much, much enemy, many enemies to be conquered. And Lord, there, are, there is opposition against the child of God who has set her heart for the glory of God. There's a fight against that daughter of God. There's a fight against that son of God. And so, Lord, when I go out, and, and guys, I don't know how you view life, but you've been around, if you've been around here long enough, you know that a large component of the way I think is I see life as war. I do. I see life as war. And that doesn't make for the most easygoing pastor in the world. But I'm going to tell you something. When I look out there and I know what Jesus has done, what he has done for us, what he has done to Satan, and I think to myself that, that so many of us are walking in a defensive posture instead of an offensive posture, I want to get a hold of verses like this that tell me that Father has gone ahead of me. He knows the enemy. He knows what the enemy thinks. He knows how the enemy feels, whether it be human opposition, whether it be demonic opposition, the reality is, is I don't think we have faulty ground here to stand on. I think we've got solid ground to stand on and say, Lord, I've got some opposition. I've got some enemies. I've got some things coming against me and I need you to go before me. And Lord, I need you. I need you to act on my behalf the same way you did for ancient Israel. Now, if your heart won't let you pray like that, I'm going to tell you, listen to the voice of the father. He's saying, you need to pray like that. You need to trust like that. You need to believe me because I am your God and I go before you. There's nothing greater in the, the, the context of battle and war in life than to know that you're actually not the first in line, that your Lord has gone before you. He has already carved out the pathway of victory, and the key is for us to discern where that pathway is, and that pathway is paved with the stones of trust and obedience and you only walk that pathway one step at a time, one day at a time. Israel, you're going into the land, but I've gone before you, and I'm going to make you a promise. When you get there, if you will follow me, you will see your enemies back because they will be running from you. That's a whole lot different the way than, the, than we're, we're seeing the Christian life portrayed in our generation. It's almost like we're hunkering down and just getting in our little cloisters and we're saying, oh, Jesus, come back, Jesus, come back, Jesus, come back. Well, Jesus is going to come back, but he said, until I do, occupy. He said, abide. 
He told us to be about his business. He's coming back and go ahead. John the Beloved, he prayed for it. John the Revelator, he said, even so, Lord, come quickly. Nothing wrong praying that, but pray it with your sword in your hand, knowing that the battle's not done yet. And so let's go into verse number 28. God gives some precise details about how he's going to, I love this part. God, help me not to get carnal here because it's possible, but I love this part. He gives some precise details of how the Lord was going to defeat all of these enemies in the land. Look what God says. He's told them their enemies are going to flee, that God is going to go before them. And then he says this, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. Now, come on, let's get, let's just get real here for a minute. God's just promised you in the previous verse that he's going to do an amazing military uh, uh, just trouncing of your enemy. God's going to put them down. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder what the Lord's going to do since it's a battle. I wonder if we're going to have like superhuman strength. I wonder if angels are going to come alongside of us and, or, or if God himself is just going to come down and wipe them out with a word. Or I wonder if our, 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 our weapons of warfare are going to just have some kind of strength and endowment from heaven's realm on them and there'll be supernatural weapons. I wonder how we're going to win us. All I know is God says we're going to win and God says it's not going to be any of that. I'm going to use some hornets I have down there. I'm going to bring them into submission through stingers. I'm going to bother them with bees. I'm going, to, I'm going to hound them with hornets. When I was about 10 years old, we had, I had a hero in my neighborhood. His name was Bill Potter. The Potter family was very kind to me in one of the worst seasons of my life. My parents, my mom had left, and uh, I was just lost, quite frankly. And so Bill and Pat Potter took me under their wing. They took me to church. I wasn't born again, but I don't know if I've ever been loved more, especially as a child who didn't feel like he had a lot of places to turn. The Potters were God sent, and they took care of me. But I'll never forget one day standing in the Potter's front yard, and Bill Potter, who was like heroic to me, um, was up on a ladder cleaning gutters. And I'm down there, and I'm with my friends, and I'm watching Bill Potter, one of my heroes, up on the, on the ladder, and he's cleaning gutters, and all of a sudden he's yelling, and all of a sudden he's swatting, and all of a sudden he's falling down that ladder, and he is in grievous pain, and I hear a sound, the sound that can send terror into the heart of anyone. It is multiple, and I look around, and he's just being attacked by hornets. Now, my friends, I want you to think about this. The biggest, bravest, baddest dude in the world turns into a third-grade schoolgirl when hornets are caught in his hair or under his hat or flying up his pant leg. It just brings us nobody's bold and macho when the hornets come. And the God who created the hornet knew how to use the hornet against the Hivites. You got hornets stinging you all over, it doesn't matter how big your sword is. It doesn't matter how much you have prepared for the battle. The hornets win. And God says to Israel, I haven't lost my creativity. I, I, I can win this battle any way I want. And it, listen, I actually believe, and you can quote me on this or you can dismiss it completely either way. Here's my personal opinion. Throw it away if you don't like it. My personal opinion is God wanted to humiliate the enemy. And so instead of Israel going in with swords and weapons of warfare, God says, let me go before you, and while I'm down there, I'll just stir up some hornets. 
Now, there were other battles in which Israel did have to go into hand-to-hand combat. The reason why I even uh, hunker down on this verse is this, because I want you to recognize something that we often fail to recognize. When you're in the middle of an opposition, when you don't have any way out, when your back is up against the wall, when the clock is ticking, when your breakthrough has not come yet, you typically think, okay, God could do it this way, or he could also do it this way. Oh, he might do it this way. If, you, if you're really, really, really in-depth in your spirit, you might come up with a fourth way. But by the time you count those four ways, you're kind of out. You say, I don't see any other way God can do it. I don't see how my breakthrough can come. It, it hasn't happened this way. It hasn't happened this way. The third way didn't come to pass. It doesn't look like the fourth way is going to come past. I guess that means my breakthrough will not come. And we, you and I fail to realize that the same God who used hornets against the marauding enemy of Israel is the same God who is superintending your need for breakthrough. And he hasn't lost his creative ability. You and I think God has five ways to bring us the deliverance or the need that we have. And God says, five? You could count to five million and I'd still have double that and double that and double that. He has got so many ways to come in. And sometimes, friends, he waits to the last second. You know that. I'm not at liberty to share, but there's been breakthrough in a family in our church this week. and, And the way that it happened, the process was hard. It was long. It was in the, in the natural, in the human eye, uncertain about what the outcome would be. And this precious family just pressed into King Jesus and prayed to King Jesus and then ultimately had to surrender and resurrender and leave this thing with the Lord. And the, the, the ultimate outcome was the decision of another person in whom these, these friends of ours had no control over that person. And when that person made the final decision, it was 100% breakthrough they couldn't have asked for anything better but the process the process took some time i I want to encourage you to adopt as part of our humble submission to the lord and our our patient trust in him please never allow your mind to rob him of his creativity in other words he has many ways to meet the need that you think he might only have one way or two ways to meet. And so when he bypasses your first choice of how you think that breakthrough ought to come, and he ignores your second choice, and he seems to skim over your third choice, and at this point, you're sweating bullets, you're worried, you're, you know, you're not sleeping, you're anxious, and we think, the Lord wants you to know, I've got some prefabricated hornets that I can send into this situation, and I know what I'm doing. And so ultimately for Israel, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. If I'm an Israelite and maybe my walk is not as deep as it should be with, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when Moses comes back and says, oh, the Lord just told me to tell you guys that this battle's ours, that he's got this thing. He's going to terrify them. He's going to confuse them. He's going to go before us. I'm like, Moses, what's he going to do? And Moses says, he's got bees. He's going to get them with some bees. If I'm the average Israelite, I'm like, uh, what else? Because that's our heart. We want God to operate like we would operate. And there's not a soul in here that would send hornets before them to win a battle like that. And that's why God has to remind us regularly, my ways are not your ways. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're not only different, they're better. And so part of the walk of faith when breakthrough hasn't happened is to discipline your soul to wait, to abide. Not like you wait at the DMV, not like you wait in Gwinnett County traffic, but waiting upon the Lord, occupying, staying faithful, keeping your heart steadfast in his character. Not what you see in front of you, as we'll look at in a moment, but in his character, because he's good and he cannot fail. So look with me down into uh, verse number 29. Here's really kind of the rub. God's purposeful delays. Listen to what the Lord says. And remember, this is your God, not just some God in a story in the Bible. This is your God. He's not changed. I will not drive them out from you, from before you, in one year. God says, I'm not going to do it all at once. Why, Lord? Lest the land become desolate and the wild beast multiply against you. Now, I don't know how much further we'll get beyond this point because this is really the crux of it. God says, I've got your enemy taken care of. I've got, a lot, I've got creative means to make it happen. I give you my word. This is what's going to happen. He had already told them, you need to obey me and you need to trust me. And this is going to happen. And so then the Lord is so gracious to tell them something. He says, by the way, it's not going to be an insta-fix. It's not going to be an immediate victory. He actually tells them, now I'm not going to do all of this for you in a moment. He says, it's going to take some time. We'll follow that up in the next verse. But I love the reason that he begins to unveil why he takes his time. Why, why hasn't God given you your breakthrough yet? I mean, come on, we, we've asked that, right? I've got some things in my life, in some intercession for other people that I've been praying for over two decades. They haven't happened yet. And I promise you this, when I got saved in 1994, and I, especially intercession for people to be saved, and I started praying, I'd write there, and I used to have a list of 100 people. I'd pray down that list, and many of them got saved. But there's some that are very precious to me, people in my family, and they've never been saved. And, and when I started praying over that list 20-plus years ago, I just knew it was going to happen the next week. I, I, I was like, how, I had faith. I believed. I trusted. I had the gospel and I just knew if I was faithful and I shared the gospel and I prayed, I would fast, I would pray over them. I knew that they would get saved. And then a year passed and they weren't saved. And then five years passed and they weren't saved. And a decade passed and a decade and a half. And now two decades plus and they've not been saved. And it's not an issue of my faith. But that breakthrough has not happened. So you, you and I both know what the temptation is. We, we get very theological. Oh, well, it must not be God's will. It must not be God's will, whether it's, you know, thinking about somebody or, or you know, maybe they just weren't, you know, if, 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 you, if you tilt reformed, you, you, you can take what, what I believe to be substantial doctrine and it can actually become a snare to you. And you, and you can say, well, God, God must not want to save them. And your theology, theology will get all twisted up. Or you can say, well, it hasn't happened yet. Not because God doesn't want to, but because of this principle, friends. The normal methodology of God Almighty, the normal, is not to override the human will. Now, don't leave here saying Jeff said God can't do that. God can do whatever he wants. 
But the way God normally works is that he normally does not override the human will. God is outside of time. So he never rushes. He never panics. He never gets in a hurry. He's never looked and said, oh, I'm late. That, that he's never had to do it. He's outside of time. And yet, when he wants to minister to us, when he wants to come alongside us, when he get, interacts with human beings, he has to enter into time. He has to work in the realm that we are in. And so God, in some ways, enters into time where he could do it before you ever even knew the need, God's ways also incorporate the fact that he's got to work in the time realm that you and I are living in. And so he doesn't override time, he doesn't override nature, and he doesn't override the human will. That's not his norm. He can do all of those things, but that's not his norm. And yet you and I are so quick to say, just do it because you can and do it yesterday. And yet the Lord is so much more interested in the process than he is the end game. You and I love the end game. That's why you have a microwave oven. That's why every fast food restaurant has a drive-through window. Um, listen, friend, that's why you can pay at the pump. That, that's why the internet shopping is growing because you don't have to leave your house. You click a button and it gets on your doorstep in two days if you're smart and you have Amazon Prime. And, and so everything's instant, but it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. And God says, I'm actually not going to give you this breakthrough. And here's the reason why. He says to Israel, because if I give you, if I kill them all at once, and he can, God could wipe out the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all of them. He could wipe out the entire population of pagan enemies in the promised land. He could do it. He said, yeah, if I did that, the land would be desolate. Now, why is that important? Well, because Israel's several million people, they're moving into a large spate of land. And listen to this. God actually wants to leave enough of the enemy there because the enemy's got to eat too. The enemy's got to cultivate the ground. The enemy's got to, they're in an agricultural uh, uh, system. They live off of what they grow. And God actually says, yeah, if I wipe them all out, whose crops are you going to eat as you're occupying the land? God actually left some of the resistance because that fruit needed to be for Israel. And so if God wipes them all out, Israel moves in, and in one harvest season, now they're starving. Now they die. So what do we learn from this? Let me tell you, what, and by the way, it also says the wild animals move in, because the animals would take over an unpopulated land. And so what God is saying is, watch this. He's saying, He's not saying this to Israel. I think he's speaking this to us, so bear with me here. What we apply this, what we extract from this, what we learn is this. Sometimes our breakthroughs tarry because we're fixated on what we need right now, but while God is working on that, he is also wisely and lovingly working on what comes after the breakthrough. And if you're not ready for what comes after the breakthrough, the breakthrough itself becomes a problem for you. And sometimes my breakthroughs don't happen because I'm not in a place or it's not the right time where I can receive what comes after the breakthrough. And so God didn't want Israel to beat the Canaanites but be eaten by desert wolves. God didn't want the Israelites to go in and, and conquer the Jebusites and, and, and the other ites in there and then starve to death in a season. So what God does is he says this. By the way, let me, let me just give you this. It took seven years to subdue the promised land. 
Seven years. If God had wiped them out in, in a day, Israel, the very next year, would have had no crops to eat. And God left the enemy. He actually let the enemy work the harvest that Israel would eat. Sometimes the Lord leaves your opposition because there's fruit that you need from them being there. There is fruit that you can only get if God leaves that opposition in your life. And there are times where he could give you that breakthrough on a Monday, but he's not going to give it to you until the Friday. And the reason why is because Tuesday through Thursday, there's something you need. And so faith has to train our minds to say, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not a good waiter. I'm getting better, but I am a get or done kind of guy. And I'm not, I'm not naturally gifted to wait, but this is what I've learned because now I've got a few years under my belt. And I've realized, oh, some of the most important things he has ever placed in me have come while he's making me wait. Some of the most precious things I've ever learned about him. Some things, some fruit that nourishes my soul. Whereas if he had given me the breakthrough on the first day I asked for it, I would have had the rush of the insta-fix from God. I would have praised him. I would have given him glory. I would have testified. I would have shared it. But God in his wisdom would know that I'm not ready for everything that comes next. And so God is not obsessing over your right now. It doesn't mean he's disinterested. It just means he is actually simultaneously working on what you need now and what you're going to need after the now happens. Y'all follow me? And so he's not slow. He's not slack. He's thorough. God's thoroughness is often misinterpreted by his, his children as God being slow or slack. No, he's actually working deep. You want to go long, God would rather go deep. And when you go deep, you're ready to go long with him. But if you're not going deep, then going long is going to leave you sapped and dried out in the desert. So go down with me into verse number 30. I'm going to take 10 extra minutes tonight or so, okay? If you need to leave, that's okay. I know it's, it's a little late. God's preferred design. And here we go again. Look at what the Lord says. This is your God. Little by little. I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Look at what God just said. I'm going to do it little by little, child. Israel, you're going to win a little bit at a time. Just a little bit at a time. I'm a sports fan. Lane and I are watching the NBA Finals. And they drag it out. Seven games. Whoever wins four they're the champions that year. Seven games. It may only go four games this year, the way things are looking. But seven games. They have to win. Each team fights little by little for the victory. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing for God to promise you a victory. And every single child of God, you hear me on this. I, I'm not asking you. I'm going to tell you this. And I'm going to tell it over and over again all of my life until everybody that can believe it will believe it. You are a winner through Jesus Christ. You're a winner. You are victorious. You're an overcomer. And by the way, if you're ever going to overcome, you first have to undergo. And, and so we can't whine about having to undergo things. Why? Because that's the only way you get to experience overcoming. 
And, and so you're an overcomer. You're a victorious uh, child of the king. You are a winner forever and ever. It's already declared. We're not, that's not in debate. But the actualizing of that victory is little by little. Incremental. God's, if you want to write this down, God's ways are almost always little by little. And in a culture, and in a, in, a, in a faith culture, in a local church where we believe in, in the miraculous, I believe in that. I pursue that. I was praying this afternoon as according to uh, Paul's mandates in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, I have spent time today pursuing spiritual gifts. And there are some gifts that I do not see operative in my life that I'm asking God to make operative in my life. And one of those is the miraculous the, the, the ability to have faith that is connected to instant healing. I want that. I want it for my family. I want it for this church family. I want it for my community because I believe a great expression of the loving heart of God is that God is a healer. And I don't believe he put that in his back pocket for the last 2,000 years, that he still wants to do that. But I, I don't have a, a strong or long track record with that. I've seen a few breakthroughs in that, but I believe we can see so much more. But the reality is this, if you're always chasing the instant miracle, you're going to be frustrated when you have to face the facts that God often works little by little. And so it's not an either or. I want to pursue the miraculous, which is typically instantaneous. Typically, that's what we think of. But in the meantime, if the instantaneous breakthrough doesn't happen, I don't want to be found pouting doubting, worrying, or scurrying around because God didn't give me my breakthrough. What I want to do is I want to lift up my eyes to the hill from where, whence comes my help. I want to say, little by little, you're going to do it. Little by little, you're for me. Little by little, my enemy's going down. Little by little, vindication, validation. Little by little, breakthrough, Lord. And I don't know if you're comfortable with that, but I'm just giving you my testimony. But if you're not comfortable with it, I hope you're less comfortable with giving up I, I want you to be uncomfortable not with believing God for great things. I want you to be uncomfortable for not believing God for anything. I want that to make us uncomfortable. And so if we'll involve the little by little, what it does is it honors the ways of God. It says to the Lord, your timing, yet Lord, I think you know this, Lord, you're smarter than me. You have more information than I do. You, you know right now, and you know the next right now, and the one after that, you already know it. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you that when my breakthrough doesn't happen today, I'm not giving up, I'm not quitting, I'm not going to doubt you. And if you want to do it little by little, Lord, just let me be there by faith when it happens so I can glorify you in the little by little and then when the breakthrough comes. And that's what the Father said. He said, I'm going to drive them out before you, and he says, until you have increased These delays, we, we think of them as delays when the breakthrough doesn't happen. They're actually not delays. We think of it that way, and I'm not going to split that hair. But this stuff is moving on the Lord's timetable. And we're dealing with one aspect of this. We're not even talking about spiritual warfare and how the enemy resists and fights the plans of God. I understand that can be a component too. But we're really just making this about us and the Lord right now. And... Those delays are, are the garden that produces some of the greatest fruit in our lives. The increase. God said, I'm going to do it little by little until you have increased. Let the word speak to you. 
Think of all the ways that we can be increased as we faithfully wait on the Father for the breakthrough. And the Lord says, in that, in that waiting, in that little by little, you will increase and then you're going to possess, you're going to have in hand the thing that you heard in ear. It enters into your ear, but one day it's going to be placed in your hand. And as it enters into your ear, then it's got to be rooted in your heart to believe him. And ultimately, it's going to be in your hand one day. And those are those breakthrough moments. So I'm going to get to the, the very end, verse 31. Thank you all for being patient. And I kind of I love the fact that God kind of ends where he began in these handful of verses. His promise is declared. He determined something in verse 27. By the way, I think seven times in these four or five verses, he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then he said one time, I will not. I will not do it all in, in, in a year. He, it's seven I wills, one I will not, and then here we're going to see it's one you shall. Forgive me if that's a little just tedious for you, but God does seven things, and then he only tells us to do one thing. Well, what's that one thing? Well, let's check it out. Verse number 31. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, and I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand. He told him again, I'm going to do this. And he says, and you shall drive them out before you. I'm just going to step away a little bit for a minute because... God says, I declare victory over your life. Israel, you're going in. Here's what I'm going to do. And he lists out the things that they can count on him to do. Israel's only job is to trust his faithfulness and to obey. It's very important that we get that. Um, for me, inward trust is harder than outward obedience. We can teach our pets to obey. Doing the right thing is important, but God wants us to do the right thing with the right heart, and that heart condition is trust. And every, when you've got enemies coming at you from all angles, trust can be hard. When opposition and giants are in the land, it, it can be hard. Never let that trepidation of heart interfere with your obedience. You can have fear without being afraid. I try never to say, I am afraid, because that's a condition of identity. I don't want to speak over my life that I have a condition and identity of fear. I, I will say this. I usually try to say it like, well, I'm, I'm sensing fear right now. I don't want to declare I am and then fill it in with something that's contrary to the nature of God. When I got delivered from drugs and alcohol in 1994, um, I remember being around some of uh, some recovering Christian alcoholics and addicts, and we'd get together and, and in the forum of AA and NA, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, you open up your meetings and say, hi, I'm Jeff, I'm a, and you, you fill in the word. And I remember being with some Christians who had been born again, and they would say, well, hello, my name's so-and-so, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. And I, I remember, I was just blazing zealous back then. Then, in the name of Jesus, no, you're not. You're not an alcoholic. You're not an addict. You're a child of God. Never let the devil hear you say something like that because you are brand new in Jesus. Don't do the devil's work for him. Testify of who you are in Christ. It didn't work with them, but it's still true. It's still true. And so I don't want to de declare I am afraid. 
Because then that's a sense of identity. I want to say I'm sensing fear, but I'm not going to let that sense of fear undermine my obedience. God, I am going to trust you even though I'm sensing fear, but my sense and my desire to obey you and keep moving forward and waiting, that's the stronger part. So that was all Israel had to do. And when we get to this last verse, God says, by the way, I need to tell you again what all I'm giving you. And he describes the boundaries of the land that he's giving them. When you think of Israel today on a map, it's a little sliver. You know that little sliver right there and we call the land, the territory of Palestine? It's just a little sliver. And there, even that is being just, it's the focus of all the international or the Middle East conflict. They fight over it. And people don't even want Israel to have that little sliver of land. Go back and read these boundaries in verse number 31 and, and get a map and see what the word of God is declaring here. These promises to Israel encompass far more than that little slice of land that we call Israel today. Do you know what God has promised the seed of Abraham? Parts of Syria, parts of Iraq, parts of Saudi Arabia, parts of Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Iran, up into Turkey. When God, and by the way, it's his globe. He can give whatever he wants to whoever he wants. And I don't care what politicians say, whether they're American politicians or they're overseas politicians. God's saying, oh, aren't y'all cute down there? Y'all are so cute. You actually think that you're going to own that. I, I think that's so funny. Yeah, that, that actually, that little slice of land is just a fragment because all of this is my children's too. This is all belonging to the seed of Abraham with whom I made a covenant. This is their land. And so in the end, you and I are thinking we're just trying to get these two million people to this little sliver of land. God says, oh, no, 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 no. It's all of it. All of that. I want you to start thinking of your inheritance that way because I believe this and I'm done. I believe that when we think, and we don't think long enough or deeply enough on it, when we think of what God has for us, we think uh, a little slice of desert land near the sea. We think of very small thing. It's not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for us. And I dare you. It's a holy dare. I dare you to start changing your thinking and believe that the inheritance that God has for you through the merits of Jesus Christ the Lord who gave himself for you, who loves you, who shepherds you, I just double dog dare you to start believing that what he has for you is not a slice, but it's the whole. Dare your heart to press in and say, he's given me inheritance bigger than I could ever imagine. He's promised to take care of my enemies. And by faith and obedience, I shall drive them out of my inheritance. God calls us to be on the offensive. God doesn't expect us to sit in a corner, weeping, wailing, whining as we wait for Jesus to come back. God, and we'll see this again this coming Sunday, God says, get up and drive those people out of what I've given you. Drive your opposition 
that is resisting what I and my love for you have decreed is yours. He says, I'm going to go before you, but you have to follow and drive them out. So whatever your opposition is, maybe you don't have any human opposition. I hope you don't, but I'm going to tell you there is spiritual opposition coming against you every day if you've set your heart for the glory of Jesus Christ. Spiritual opposition. Take on the mantle. Rise up and put on the armor of God. Testify so the enemy hears your voice praising God and talk to the Lord victoriously, confidently. You're not telling him what to do. If, if you're really praying, he's ordaining your prayers. You're praying in his will and you're just merging with what he has already said is true. And down with the idea that God is a tight-fisted miser who has so much but doesn't want to bless you with it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Your spiritual inheritance, and that's the most part, your spiritual inheritance, if you'll pursue that, lesser inheritance aspects of it will come your way, but pursue that inner victory and fight for your joy, your peace, and your faith to increase.